Hello and welcome back to the Everyone's a Football Critic podcast with me, Zach Palmer, and as always, my co-host, Mr. Callum Distin. Mr. Distin, can you or can you not confirm that football is indeed coming home? I think it, well, I think it has to be. <laughs> It'd be rude not to. Exactly. At this stage, we've it's we've overcome the biggest opposition that we're going to play um, on the route to the final. It's not to dismiss the other teams. Um, it's absolutely going to be difficult, and I'm not saying we're going to get there. But it's the easiest route to a final that I think we'll ever have. I think it will be. I think it will be a real failure from Southgate after beating Germany if we were to get knocked out next round or in any round before the final, really, with the teams we have to play. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you could say the same about the 2018 World Cup, couldn't you? That was a very favourable draw as well. We obviously didn't go all the way with the with the squad of players we've got, and with that draw, you would like to think that we should be really grasping this opportunity because it is an excellent opportunity. Um, but yeah, let's jump let's jump straight into the. Um, the discussion of the England game then. What did you think of the game? Uh, I thought it was a really good and enjoyable game. It was a completely different game to all of the other England games, which were which were all essentially the same game played three times. This was completely different. Um, we changed formation, which I think was the correct decision. I think we touched on it um in the last pod, switching to a three to match those really wide players and having some pacey wingers to run in behind where they leave a lot of spaces, which they did, as um, Saka did really well, I thought. Um, I thought he was a little unfo- unlucky to be the one who was taken off first, but he's he's still young, is not. <clears throat> he's still a bit raw. He was playing quite well. The decision was clearly proved right. I'm not criticising for that. Um yeah, no, I thought it was a really enjoyable game. What about you? Yeah, I was I was going to say that I think it's it's interesting. I think we've touched on this before in a couple of other episodes and sort of the um, how, how fickle football fans in general, but particularly England fans can be, whether it be from game to game in this tournament. But particularly, I think once that lineup was leaked, it, it seems to be every England lineup has been leaked at sort of like 9am every day before, uh, on the day of the game. The response to that team lineup was atrocious. I mean, overly defensive, way too cautious. Whether it was criticism of the system change because it was very clearly going to be a three at the back when you saw that lineup come out, or whether it was criticism of the personnel, everybody was ready to dismiss us and, you know, Germany were going to walk all over us. And I think it's really interesting the flip as soon as you then get the right result. Suddenly, it's a masterstroke. Which I think is interesting because I think that's been the case throughout the whole tournament really is that, as you say, the first three games in the group stage were all the same game. But depending on whether we got the result or not, the perception of the performance was so, so different, even though broadly we played very, very similarly. Um, Mm. But you mentioned that this game was a little bit different and it was certainly in in system. We changed to the back back three, Um, Walker as the right centre-back and then Stones and Maguire. Um, what did you think? I thought it was really good. They all looked really comfortable. Um, I think something that's interesting, it wasn't just the system that had changed it. The whole approach, we didn't have that, that first, like, the first 10 minutes of every, half, of every half that we've played at the Euros in the group stages has been a really high, aggressive press. 
trying to force a mistake. And that just didn't happen. We kind of, especially in the first half, we really sat off them. I would argue too much in those first sort of 15, 20 minutes. Gave them a, gave them a bit too much of the ball and a bit too, too much respect, if anything. Just kind of, you, you obviously have to respect an opposition like that. But I was kind of sat there like, actually, lads, like, look at the quality we have on the pitch. Believe in yourselves and mm. take it to them. We shouldn't be the ones backing off. And they really did, to their credit. They absolutely did. Um, on the defence, I thought it was really solid. We never... Pickford made a couple of excellent saves. But we didn't concede... Again, we didn't concede many big chances. There was that Werner one where Pickford saved. Um, Havertz outside the box with that really, really good save just above him. There's not... Uh, the Muller. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like we were leaking... Pardon? The Muller, that, um, Muller, of course, with the big Sterling. But again, that's a... That's a. I don't. I don't think you, you can't blame the defence on that. That's an individual error that happens. That's not. That's a very unique situation. That's no tactical or system error mm. from Southgate. That is just a mistake from Sterling, which fortunately didn't lead to a goal. Um, I thought Trippier was considerably better on the right than Shaw was on the left. I've seen Shaw getting a lot of plaudits. I didn't think he had a particularly good game. He got. Um, I got the assist. It was a really good cross in, and credit for that. But he looked, he looked like the most. He looked like if the Germans were going to score, it kind of looked like it was going to come through him. I think Maguire made a couple of good tackles. Uh, who was really solid again. It's really good having him back. Um, but not not bad enough to say I'm not calling for him to be dropped or anything. He just sort of six or seven out of ten, fairly standard. What did you think about the midfield pairing? Because there was a lot of controversy surrounding that yeah it does it does seem like we talk about the same players every time when it comes to selection in the choosing of phillips and rice in this situation whether you want to talk about the personnel and the merits of them individually or just i think more so people get quite annoyed about the two defensively field fielder situation despite the fact that phillips hasn't really been playing as one for the entire tournament really i thought it was bold because not only did we shift to the the 3-4-3. Three, three. We also actually, more so in the first half than the second half, but we actually went man for man. Um, it it mm. was quite interesting. It's It, it was almost Bielsa-esque. Uh, I, I say that not just because I love Bielsa and want to drop him in whenever <laughs> possible, but actually because not many people do actually go man for man. It was quite interesting to see Southgate take that approach because for all of the criticism of him being really risk averse and conservative which which he is and his team selection does show that for him to decide that rice and phillips can be aggressively pressing and harassing and overcome a german midfield of cruz and gretzka is incredible bravery like that that that's a lot of faith in your two midfield players which largely was repaid and i think that's that's quite a phenomenal achievement that, I mean, for those two mm. players to actually run rings around two of the best, or at least at one stage, the best in Cruz's case, midfield players in the world. I mean, I mean, Phillips in particular as well, was he was so aggressive into everything, pushing really high, and Cruz had no time at all and didn't influence the game at all. And that is, that is quite phenomenal. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> you kind of touched on it there. I thought I thought they were both decent. I thought Phillips was better. I just... My issue with Rice, and he doesn't do this for West Ham, 
which is what I find really quite confusing. So I, d- I don't know if it's if it's just him being a bit negative or if it's a if it's a Southgate tactical decision. He just he seems terrified to pick a pass further than about five yards away from him every time. He'll win the ball back really well. And then he'll just sort of pass it. He'll turn around and pass it backwards or he'll pass it straight to the side. And it's not... That's necessary sometimes. That absolutely... I, I hate the sort of the reputation that some players get as always only a sideways pass. And like, actually, that's a really important skill and you need it in a game sometimes. However, there were times when Rice won the ball back, whether it be on the left or the right, and one of the wing backs or the wide centre backs was pushed up and were literally stood there with arms out going, pass to me, pass to me. And he passes to someone else who's next to him, and then the ball goes to the player who wants it originally. And by that time, all the space that, that player had to run into is covered because the Germans have got over and had players there. Um, I don't know. I saw I saw a stat on Twitter this morning saying he had 95.3% passing accuracy. And I kind of facetiously quoted it, being like, yeah, well, it's easy enough when you only pass to the man right next to you. But, like, it's true. He just... And he has a good passing ability, which he shows for West Ham. I just don't really... I don't really understand why his his passing was so negative. He just never seemed to like look forwards in the way that Phillips did, which what which was my my one concern before the game. I, I absolutely supported the system change, understood the reasons for it, um, understood the reasons for picking Sterling and Saka. My only issue, I was oh, a little concerned about where where the passes into Sterling and Saka were going to come from. Um, and having Rice being really negative with his, with his passing in the midfield, I felt it, it didn't cost us. It was fairly conservative and safe. But I feel like we could have had a couple of opportunities if he'd have just trusted himself and sort of believed in his passing ability, which is clearly there because he does it for West Ham. Yeah. I think with Rice, you probably... I think it's probably a mixture of not really his job, probably, in that system and in Southgate's mind for him to be searching for those passes and Phillips alongside him to be fair is often positioned into places where it's very clear that system wise he has been put in a position that gives him the room and the space and the runners to play those passes Um, and Rice just doesn't necessarily have the same movement off the ball in front of him and the same job that said Rice did actually um, have the equal highest number of progressive passes for England against Germany. Now, there is a caveat to that, that he was often picking up the ball quite deep, and so therefore it's probably easier for him to play a progressive pass. But uh, he, he was okay, and most, most, of, most of what he did was the defensive stuff, and he was very adequate, and he yeah. still hasn't conceded a goal since he's been our out-and-out defensive midfield player, so... I agree with you. It can sort of. I think when you when you've got the three four three and you've got a player like that that maybe isn't trying so many risky passes, it can be a bit frustrating. But we've seen it consistently that Southgate's approach is damage limitation and risk aversion. So, and we'll get onto it when we talk about some of the attacking players. But clearly, he likes players that are very safe. But I I I think largely I'd rather focus on the sort of ball retention and mm. pressing and um, re- really smart defensive play from both Rice and Phillips uh, to overcome, and let's be fair, an excellent pairing of Cruz and yeah. uh, Goretzka, who could have, who could have oh, had yeah. a big influence on that game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just, I, I don't, 
I don't, I don't I don't think it was bad. I'd still have him in the next game. I think I think more than anything, it, I was just it was the first time all tournament that I've kind of really been really just kind of overly aware of what we would gain if it were Henderson in that role rather than him, which I kind of I I'm you, <laughs> you've heard me I wax lyrical about uh, Henderson, but like <clears throat> but he just but we we've not we've kind of we've not overly missed what he brings in those first three games i kind of I, there were just a few points where i was very aware of like actually if henderson had a won the ball back there he'd be playing it in behind and we'd probably have a chance but i mean it, 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 it that's my only criticism that kind of says how well the team as a whole played and i'd still say i give what maybe a six or a seven out of ten for rice he didn't do anything overly wrong I'd still absolutely be well, be perfectly comfortable with him and Phillips again next game. Yeah, I think I think that's probably a a, a fair conclusion. Uh, the other personnel to discuss is the Sterling and Saka choice. What did you think of both of them? They were kind of, they were they were exactly what we needed to exploit in behind Germany. Rudiger especially ended up fouling Saka. It must have been at least three times in that first half. Um, I, th- I thought they both looked really positive at making runs. Saka, you get you get that from a young player. He's very raw and like very willing to just run run in at people. He took a few like really nice touches. He just looks very like really calm and composed for someone of his age. Um, he th- yeah, it was. They were both solid, but I think, like I said earlier, it was sometimes I was a bit concerned about where those balls into them were coming, were going to come from. Like, Kane dropped deep a few times, in but in the first half especially, just really wasn't playing them in the way that he can. I think he had nine touches or something in the first half, which just wasn't good enough. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought they were they were good enough and they were clearly there to do a role and they did the role that they were there to do quite well yeah I, I think that Sterling is now cons- and we, we, we've both been fairly high on Sterling I think as as anyone has been I mean mm. despite the fact that he scored all of our goals in the group stage there was still a big call for him to be left out which I, I understand why people want a particular type of player in Grealish gets you up off your seat but it doesn't mean that he's always the right player and um, actually, I think we've been shown the influence that he can have from the bench sometimes. And maybe that is a really smart role for him to have in this England setup. But we can get onto that in a bit. But I think so. I think Sterling was brilliant. I think every time Sterling got the ball, he actually looked a, actually a threat running at people, which is something I actually think he's failed to do so far this tournament. Actually, with the ball at his feet, he actually looked like I might actually cause a problem for the German back line here. And. Meanwhile, he was still doing fairly well that job of trying to get him behind the stretch defences. Saka, I agree with you, I thought was good. Um, and I like Saka, I think he's a good player. And I think what, what we like about Saka, though, is what I think we like about Grealish or Sancho, which is positive, direct running, um, which can sometimes come off and sometimes cannot come off. So basically, it's low percentage play. Now, I understand why Southgate wants to leave out someone like Grealish and to a lesser extent someone like Sancho because he thinks, actually, I'd rather have players on the pitch that 
are a bit more secure in possession and we're going to recycle the ball nicely. We're going to dominate the ball and we're going to pick our moments and we're going to hit teams in behind and we're going to hit them fast on transition. I don't really think that Saka was doing that so much. He was actually doing more of that stuff where he's getting the ball to feet, dribbling at players and either getting past them or not. Like he, he got dispossessed four times, which was the highest number. He also beat his men, his man on a fair few occasions and looked to stretch teams. But I looked at what Saka did yesterday and I still I still just think, and I think we spoke about this last time when Saka played, still just thought, it's a good performance, but Sancho does it better and should be in this squad ahead of him uh, in the starting 11. I mean, and particularly, I think, against Germany, where he is basically playing against a bunch of Bundesliga players, where he has yeah. consistently excelled for three to four seasons. It's... Really, really bizarre. I mean, I love Saka, and I don't want to kind of criticize Saka, but I just it it, it is frustrating because I just don't. While I can see the Grealish thing, I just like the Sterling over Grealish. I mean, I can't quite see the Saka over Sancho thing. Yeah, and again, like of all the teams we're playing, like Sancho is going to be most up for that game. All the fans who like watch him week in, week out. As a player, you'd ab- like as a player, you'd absolutely thrive off going around these German stadiums, having like scored a goal to knock them out of the tournament. You'd love it. <laughs> you like the sort of attitude, like your name being booed every time like, you're on the ball. You'd like you thrive from that. I just don't, I don't get it. And with Southgate's reasoning that he gave a couple of weeks, well, I don't remember when. Sometime in the tournament, he said he have to has to be careful with inexperienced players. I don't I don't think you can call Saka more experienced than Sancho. Objectively he's not. You can't. You can't. Yeah. Objectively wrong. Yeah. Like I don't and and it's it's also that 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 criticism in itself is quite is quite like damning towards him I would say because I I would argue that if he's because he's clearly experienced so he's he's clearly experienced um in domestically. He like he he, he Clearly, he's he's scored thirty, scored and assisted thirty six in thirty eight. So, pre- presumably, Southgate is not ignorant to that. So he was referring to international experience. Um, if if he was ignorant to that and was referring to domestic experience, I'd probably sack him. <laughs> but so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he meant international. And and in that case, it's his job to give him the experience. Mm. This player who's been excelling in the Bundesliga for, for a good few years now. That is absolutely Southgate's job to get him involved in the um, in the in the in the setup um, and give him those opportunities to get international experience and get that chemistry with those players around him. And so, you, so you can't come into a tournament and be calling one of probably one of the most talented players we have, calling him inexperienced. That's your fault. Yeah. Like that, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we 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 spoke about it last last week. Or oh, the last podcast. So I don't want to labour the point too much, but I think, yeah, as you say, if you're Sancho and in isolation you're told you're an inexperienced player by your international manager and that's why you're not getting minutes, you'd feel a bit hard done by, but you'd maybe just suck it up and carry on training and just sort of get on with it. But if you're then seeing Bakayo Saka get picked ahead of you, and look, I understand why Bakayo Saka kept his place in the team because he played well in the last group stage game. But why did Saka get that opportunity in a um, international tournament ahead of Sancho to therefore be able to keep his place? Like 
it's just I'm not necessarily expecting Sancho to come in ahead of Saka for this Germany game. Although I wouldn't have actually minded that, and I think that would have been a shrewd um, selection. But more so, why, why didn't Sancho get the nods um, against the Czech Republic to then possibly retain this place against Germany? I feel like every time Sancho's played for England, he's played against. Uh, sorry, he's played with unideal combinations, strange players playing in weird positions and not really been able to have the best um, go at it against sort of the best opposition. Just give him, as you say, give him the experience. But very frustrating. But anyway, on to our second best um, wide creative player, Jack Grealish. Um, he obviously came on and we scored twice. Is that a direct correlation? What exactly is it that Grealish brought to this game? Um... I wouldn't say it was he was the only reason, but he certainly he certainly was influential. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say he changed the game. Um but he was really positive when he came on running at at players and just kind of scaring them. Um I kind of in my head I half think Southgate was hoping that one of those either the right center back or the wing back the right wing back would be on a booking by that point because then they're scared and you've got a f- fresh Jack Grealish coming off the bench you can't afford to foul him um, but yeah he got the pre-assist for the first goal was it did he play the ball into Shaw um, he's just a very he's just great isn't he he's he the way he carries the ball it kind of it looks as if it's glued to his feet sometimes mm. um I really rate him. I really like him. He, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been opposed to seeing him starting. To be fair, on pretend like in that role that San, we're saying Sancho would have taken. Because um, yeah, like well, I've said it already, but the balls into the wingers, like we need, we just, I kind of felt like we needed someone a bit more creative. I looked at that lineup and I didn't see much creative talent there. And it meant, and it meant that Kane was dropping deep. And he, Kane actually in the second half had a really good second half for dropping deep and playing balls in compared with his first half. Um, but, but when Grealish on it kind of gave him the freedom to be more, just be more, a bit more direct and be sort of further up the pitch. Cause it wasn't, he wasn't the only option for dropping deep, and as a result, he scored. I do, I do think there's a correlation for Grealish being on and Kane being able to be in the box and being in that position, in those positions he wasn't getting in before Grealish was on the pitch. Yeah, I'm. Jack Grealish was great when he came on. Um, obviously, as you say, just a, a far more direct runner, picking up the right sort of areas that you want that sort of creative player to be picking up. That that pre-assist for playing it out to Shaw, for then Shaw to cross to Sterling for that first goal in particular was really really lovely. I love the way that he sort of goes to sort of step inside just a little bit before then releasing the pass. It kind of just draws players out of position and gives Shaw all the time in the world to pick that pass. It's really really smart. Um, and then obviously it was a. To be honest with you, I, I thought I thought the cross actually for Kane's. Um, header was gave gave Kane quite a bit to do actually because um, it was just a, just a little bit behind him. But look, it was a great move and Jack Jack Grealish, Jack Grealish was brilliant. But I do I do think it's it's these sort of times when I get a little bit boring 
and have to sort of say things like game state and you kind of when Jack Reedish comes on I think I think the game is probably changing anyway it's becoming a little bit more stretched people are tired particularly once we go 1-0 up which as we've said Reedish had a big hand in us going 1-0 up but once we go 1-0 up Germany are really pushing and there's a lot more space for him to work in and I do just think that you obviously benefit from that but then you need to be a great player to benefit from that. So there, there, there is a bit of bit of give and take. We caught Germany twice in transition for those goals. I don't think that's necessary. I think that's a bigger factor than it is kind of Grealish. In a, he took advantage of those situations, but Germany got tired. Southgate had made us quite risk-averse so that we stayed in the game. We restricted Germany to really mostly low-probability opportunities, and then we pounced on their mistakes hit them fast in transition and we got two two goals two really well worked goals as well and that that's how good we can be when that how we played in those transition phases is how I'd expect us to play if we went 1-0 down against a team is really sort of try and zip the ball around a lot quicker a bit more urgency and get some of our best players on the ball as it happens we don't really need to do that all the time and I think fair enough to Gareth because he's sort of decided this is how international football is played and more importantly won and he just is trying to keep things really tight really compact keep the ball don't do anything risky and will take advantage in our moments particularly at the end of games and I think we've seen him try and get early goals and then try and get late goals he tries to sort of put England on the front foot by going a goal up to give them that cushion and then try and kill games off towards the end and obviously we didn't get the early goal against Germany but we did get two late goals um and then it makes the result look a lot sweeter, doesn't it, when you're 2-0 up to Germany, when actually it could have easily been 0-0. And more so, it could have even been worse than that because Müller goes through with, let's be honest, a guilt-edge chance at 1-0 to make it 1-1. Now, the question I put to you is, is the narrative around this game very, very different if Müller scores that? I don't, I don't think we win if he scores that. Mm. Um I I just it was really heart in mouth. I just I I just as soon as it went past Pickford, you kind of assumed it was rolling in. Mm. You you just were like, oh for fuck's sake, that's it then. Uh, it was because it was like right after we conceded as well. Uh, we'd scored as well, wasn't it? It was just it really felt like if they'd have scored, then there'd have been a significant momentum switch, and they'd have been in and probably beaten us. I've got um. A friend who lives an English friend who lives over in Berlin, and he, he was in a bar there, and he said it quickly changed from like <laughs> the the whole bar like cheering to just him and this one other guy in the bar like jumping up celebrating <laughs> this miss like a goal, and yeah, that sums it up really. It, it, it's a horror miss. It's <laughs> really bad. There's no excuse for it. You like as 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 an attacker, one on one there, you score. <laughs> like you, there's no there's no real excuse for it. Yeah, I think I think I think I agree with you. you. It goes one-one, and I think it's advantage Germany, isn't it? And then it's it'd be interesting to see whether the game then opened up as both teams tried to win it, or whether England would get really cagey and just decide, okay, we're going to try and uh, stem this Germany momentum. But as you say, I mean, Müller should have scored. I mean, he's scored hundreds of goals across his career. That was a really really good chance, and I think you're probably right. I think we certainly don't create our second goal, if that goal goes in. I just don't see us having the same level of... Uh, well, the same amount of the ball, the same spaces opening up, I just don't quite see that working. Um, 
So that definitely was, I mean, obviously that was a a knife edge moment. Um, What did you think of Germany in general? Like that chance aside? Um, I thought they, the first like 15, 20 minutes, they just had all of the ball. It, It took us a little while. We had that, we eventually got hold of it and passed it around a bit and sort of, we really grew into the game, I felt. Um, Germany did quite well to just contain it and look just very solid and ball-holding in that first half. Probably potentially, because we potentially like helped by the fact that we just didn't press them in that period. Um, they're not. They're better. They're, they looked better than I'd predicted them to be in the tournament. But they're certainly not. They're not that World Cup winning Germany side, no. are they? They're nothing. They're, they're a shadow of that. Mm. They're not. The, the I thought Cruz and Goretzka, they were managed, as we've kind of said, managed really well by Rice and Phillips and just hardly impacted the game at all, to be honest. Um, they, uh, what's his name? Rudiger, I thought could have, was probably like quite fortunate to not end up on a booking because he put in quite a few niggly fouls. Um, they created, they created some good chances, but other than other than the the Muller chance, which I've already we've already said is 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 an is an individual error. Unfortunately, he doesn't score from it. That's not a a tactical or a system mistake. It's just just unfortunate. It happens sometimes. It's that's football. Um, other than that, Pickford made some really good saves. I thought he had a great game once again. Certainly, after we scored, I'm. I was obviously nervous, obviously, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were being peppered and holding on. It. We kind of. I felt relatively confident, which is which is always which is probably where where as a Sunderland and England fan, probably where the nervousness mm. comes from. If you if you're confident, that's generally when we lose. Um. But yeah, no, I did. I really. Havertz was excellent. He was probably their best creative outlet. Um, mm. Werner was Werner, got in some good positions, didn't score, mm. kind of summed up his season, really. Although I, I was impressed, he actually managed to get it on target rather than skying it. Um, he probably should have scored that chance, to be honest, uh, but it was a good save. Yeah, they... they they're, they're not... It's really... It's, a re- it's really significant, the win. But they're not... Like, yeah, they're not classic Germany, are they? They're not. No, no, they're not. I think, I think, I think you're right. I, I can think of sort of, I think four chances that they had. I mean, it's the Werner one, which is a good chance, but and a, and a great save from Pickford. But we have pushed him quite wide there. I think it was, I think it was John Stones coming across to cover him. Did quite well to shut down the angle as well. So. I think that was... He did that a few times, actually, yeah, to be no, fair. No, 100%, because he made some blocks as well. Um, so I, I, I thought, as, as things go, not not a sort of guilt-edge chance, but a decent one. Obviously, the Muller one was uh, an excellent chance. And as you say, not really the fault of any system, just a, a slight error from Sterling, which is neither here nor there, really. But these things happen, and that was a good opportunity that he probably should have taken. Um then there was obviously the Habits one, which I feel, think was a pretty difficult chance, but he did very, very well to mm. uh, make something out of that. And as you say, Pickford made a great save. I, and I agree with you, Habits was clearly their best player, I think. I think he, he played 
very, very well. And actually, towards the tail end of the season with Chelsea and into the Champions League final and into this tournament with Germany, he's looking very, very good. And I'm interested to see how he performs next season, just as a side note, because I think he could be really, really special. Uh, next season for Chelsea. That's not exactly a controversial point, is it? Havertz could be special. Uh, cutting <laughs> edge analysis from everyone's a football critic here. <laughs> Havertz is quite good at the football. Who would have? Uh, who would have thought? Um, but other than, uh, and then there was a uh, Gosens header, I think, which I think has showed up quite high on the extreme uh, metric. But actually, from rewatching, I don't think it was uh, an easy chance at all. I think that was quite, quite, quite tough. But. Gosens, I think, is where where they went wrong. I was looking at some pass maps um, for Germany um, over the last like four games, and it's basic. They were basically tracking all the passes that Gosens had received over on the left hand side, and how often they'd been able to switch to him. And it's absolutely littered with them for the three games prior to the England game, and they're not. So we managed to restrict through I'd have to go back and look at these actions a bit closer but I think I I think through a combination of Phillips in particular pressing really really well on Cruz to stop him from having the time to play those switch passes um and also a combination of Trippier and Walker doing very well to cut things out I think basically we just limited the amount of times they could isolate Gosens against the fullback because even if he did get in behind like Trippier Walker was cleaning everything up so Trippier and Walker, I think, had brilliant games, defensively speaking. Just kept, clearly, Germany's most sort of creative player, I guess, actually, during this tournament, sort of surprisingly. Um, he's clearly, I think, been their best player. I'm not sure if you disagree, but I think he's he's yeah, been their, 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 their best outlet. And I think we kept him really quiet. So I think that, basically, we just left Germany a little bit devoid of ideas and they looked quite laborious, I thought. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I, kind of said earlier, I thought a lot, whenever they did look dangerous, it came down our right-hand side. Um, yeah, they handled our, it really, our, our left, really you mean. well. Our, yeah, sorry, our left, they're right, they're yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm not just disagreeing with everything you've just said. Um, yeah, they, uh, but that's it, I think, sure, he, he's not. He's not the best defensively, but he, he's good enough. It wasn't that he was really exploited. And Maguire covered for him. Maguire had an mm. excellent game, to be fair to him. He should have scored, actually. He had... There was that one header which was straight annoyer and was just not a great chance. He couldn't get much power on it. But there was one... I think it was the first half. There was a cross into him. And it because of how far wide he headed it, it didn't look like a very good chance. And I saw the replay, and it's one of those, if he had just got... If he got it on target, it was going in. It was, uh, it was a really, really good chance, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that probably largely sums it up for England. The only thing I would say is, uh, this is going to be boring, but we might win this tournament, and I would really like to see some more exciting, creative players as well. I would really like to see us press a little bit higher and not drop into a low block as quickly like we did against Germany. But this is how you win international tournaments. You keep things really tight, you stay disciplined and then you just sort of pick your moments and this is what this is. And also you have a fabulous goalkeeper, which is what we have in Jordan Pickford right now because he's had another excellent game. That's four clean sheets. Um, 
and fair play to him because it's not glove. Told it's, you, it's not it's just coming. <laughs> no, you 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 were absolutely right because he he has been brilliant. But yeah, it's not just that he stood between the posts either. He's had a lot. To, he has had a lot to do, and he's kept us in games where otherwise we might be going out, and the narrative would be very different surrounding England and Southgate without Pickford. Because if you had a worse goalkeeper, yeah, you'd probably be blaming the goalkeeper, but you'd also be looking at Southgate going, why aren't you playing all your creative players? As it happens, Southgate has been able to rely on his defensive players and his structures to keep us in games and then been able to rely on Sterling and Kane when, let's be honest, Southgate has been probably the only guy to have wholehearted faith in those two players to pull through and it's literally only those two players that have scored for us. So, um, fair play because he's stuck to his guns and look, I think it's... I think it's minor details I think things could have swung either way at times that's just the way it goes but right now Southgate stuck to his guns and he's getting it right so fair play yeah absolutely just just on Pickford I think I think it it's very very rare that of the two goalkeepers on the pitch one of them's Manuel Neuer and he <laughs> isn't the one who has the better distribution mm. that like that 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 is so rare he because Manuel Neuer Probably not anymore. At his peak, the best the best goalkeeper in the world. Very much the the staple example of sweeper keeper. I have no doubt if he wasn't. I, I said to my dad yesterday about both Pickford and um, Neuer. I have no doubt if if they weren't goalkeepers, I'd actually be really interested mm. to see wh- where mm. they'd play outfield because they'd both be top level footballers. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, no, that, no. that's it. Just no, any time a- to praise Pickford. <laughs> It's a, it's a fair question because it's tough to tell with goalkeepers what their athleticism would be be like and what their other qualities would be. Um, but no, it's an interesting point. The only other thing actually that got lost in a positive result was uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being left out of the 23. Uh, why on earth is he in the squad? <laughs> it's absolutely beyond me. If, if, if you're not, if he's your, uh, he's clearly the third choice striker um, mm. behind Rashford. Like if if you don't trust him so much that you're not gonna uh, as your because that's not that's not like it's an oversaturated position. We did not have a natural striker on the bench, regardless of Southgate seeing Rashford as a striker. Because I don't think he is, but whatever, he's not a natural striker. Hmm. Certainly, we didn't have a natural striker on the bench, and it just it was just yeah a bit baffling. Yeah, I. I, I I, 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 I really don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't even fathom a guess what the logic behind it is. It's really, really bizarre because I think that although Kane has looked injured at times and then other times he's, he sort of seems to have picked it up a little bit and he, as you said, did look a little bit better against Germany again and obviously got his goal. But where he's really struggled is with pressing intensity and you just think there's so many occasions where not only could we have taken advantage of teams playing out from the back and press them a little bit more aggressively. But we've actually been set up to do that. Like Southgate clearly wanted that to be happening and he's got a striker that can't do it. And then you've got a striker on the bench or in this case, not even on the bench that also can't do it. So why haven't you taken Bamford or Watkins? Where at least throw someone like that on when actually, okay, it's not really working. As you say, like, I d- it's really bizarre to me that Rashford has now been seen as the... Uh, second choice nine maybe he was taken as that the whole time maybe that's what was in Southgate's head that that was going to be his primary position but it's really really strange because I I also Rashford hasn't really had that many opportunities because I don't think he really sees him as the option either he only really put Rashford on when he had to because Kane was having an absolute howler 
and there was just no other choice. I think if we had had to take off Kane, because let's say Kane and Rashford both look like they could break down at any minute. They both played way too much football and have both been fairly injury prone. But so Kane could break down at any minute. Rashford probably isn't fully fit. I actually genuinely think we were in a position against Germany where if Kane got injured and had to come off, you'd probably end up throwing on Phil Foden as a false nine or something. Uh, like, I think that would I think that would be your best like with the players that you had on that bench. That would have been your best decision to make. We said it. We said it. We we said it in the preview or uh, well, the the squads episode. I just don't see where Calvert Lewin fits into this team because he's not a super sub off the bench. He can't press. He he's a very isolated striker. If if we he, he's not the sort of player who tracks back. So we're say in defence we'd be a man down versus someone like well he, even Kane. To like to be fair, I was going to say a Bamford or a Watkins, but even Kane he comes back and and in attack Kane gets involved in the attack with stuff that isn't just scoring um and Calvert-Lewin doesn't do that which is fine that's not I'm not criticizing him as a player he's a great player he scored 20 odd goals this season um no, for Everton no yeah. he scored 16 was it six oh, okay or well, still maybe. quite a few goals still mm. quite a few goals one of the one of the top scoring Englishmen in the league um less than he, just, he doesn't but, but he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't fit the system. He, it's, and he and he never will. There is never a system that Southgate is going to play at this tournament that he's going to fit. And like you yeah. say, if 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 Kane, so Kane went down, and there was a point where Kane went down, and Rashford was warming up. If Kane had gone off there, and say Rashford comes on for him, Rashford takes a knock in training. Say Calvert Lewin's our only striking option. Uh, yeah, I, I'd much prefer someone like Foden or, or someone at a false nine as opposed to. Calvert-Lewin up front because he just we'd be on 10 men for so many portions of the game other than he'd he'd be helpful crossing it in that's that's about it (laughs) well this is the thing because when we were talking about the squad we were talking about Southgate had orchestrated himself into a situation where he could basically only take two nines because he had to cover other positions elsewhere particularly at the back with question marks over Maguire's fitness um and then obviously Trent having to drop out. But the whole idea, the whole debate that we were talking about that people were having was it's it's Bamford or Watkins, which is basically, okay, if Kane gets injured, one of those could feasibly come in and do what you want from your striker off the ball, work rate, and would just allow everyone else around them to carry on playing the same way. But what Calvert-Lewin is, is that option with 10, 15 minutes to go, throw him on and when all tactics have failed you go full vibes mode and you just inshallah into the box every every time that you get the opportunity that that's what Calvert Lewin was he was okay if all else fails we can lump balls into the box and he'll probably get his head on something and if he gets a chance he'll probably score because he's a good finisher but he's not even used him as that like we, we've had those situations where he's been on the bench and you might fancy that sort of striker he's not used him we've had um you know, we're into the last 16 now where feasibly against Germany, you might want a, a, late, a late goal. You can see you you can see a situation... Well, we scored two late goals. You can see a situation where you might need a goal going to the last 10, 15 minutes. He didn't even choose him to be on the bench. So, like, he clearly doesn't see Cavalooan as an option for that. So what was that debate about? Clearly, like, he just... He shouldn't have taken him. Take a striker that you can actually see being useful. Like, what is the point of having players in your squad that are not useful? I... I understand that there's three extra places and that people are going to lose out somewhere 
But if you've only taken two strikers and one your substitute one isn't even making the 23-man squad, essentially, what is the bloody point? Yeah. That's, it's not the position to not include in your no. squad, is it? It's, it's so odd. It's so baffling. odd. Anyway, should we talk about some other games? Because I'm going to get angry yeah. with things I should be getting angry about. Um, so, so We're in the quarterfinals. That's what matters. It's coming home. It's coming home. Um, <laughs> which we do actually... I genuinely do think we have a great chance here. Because I, I do think, look, even when it hasn't been exciting, we've been very disciplined and very effective. So there is a great chance there. But anyway, moving on to the other games, because there were other games that happened in the last 16... Um, over the last few days what was your favourite of them Callum so well it, it was a little difficult to choose it was for, for me it was between the France-Switzerland game and the Croatia-Spain game what a great just day of football um, I think I have to go with France-Switzerland I, I enjoyed France getting knocked out in that style um, we've all seen that picture of the guy 3-2 <laughs> down and then just after they score with his shirt off it's great um, France were crap. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they, I know they scored three goals, but they just—they looked. It was that that Pogba goal, by the way, was just exquisite. Mm. But, but I said I can't remember which episode when I had France as my favourite game. I sort of touched on their lack of tactics up front. They kind of they use that they don't really have tactics for that front three. They just which it's it's not it's not lazy it that sounds like lazy analysis <laughs> from me but it's they really don't they just kind of let them be fluid and play as they want to and trust them and when it comes off it looks great but i think it was kind of a real example of it not coming off and when they really the defense really could have done with some support from some of those players further forwards they really didn't get them, didn't get it. I know there's been a lot of, a lot of arguing within the French squad that like post um, match between um, what Pavard, Pogba, Rabiot, mm. uh, Rabiot's mum I think had an argument with Pogba's family or something in the stand no. that was hitting the news. There was yeah, there was there was just about about various people not doing their jobs. Um, and th- and that was it. It was it was simply really lazy from certain players at certain points of the game, not tracking back. Um, I'm not. No, no, not to discredit Sweden, the current champions of the world, Swiss- <laughs> Switzerland. Sorry, oh, I'm not on it today. The current <laughs> current champions of the world, three one up with 15 minutes to mm. go, should be going through. Mm-hmm. There is no excuse for conceding two goals. Um, two and an offside one as well that if that was on that could have been even more exciting and then to go and then to go through the extra time I, I, I mean, it was kind of you just you could see penalties the whole time mm. as soon as that extra time started neither of them were going to score again it was going to go straight you could just see penalties which is kind of a weird attitude for France to take against a team like who really as as the champions of the world, you with the majority of the squad is the same. You really like you should have no trouble whatsoever. I think what you touch upon is the thing that interests me the most. They shan't change to a three at the back for whatever reason. I I don't really understand it. He's completely overthought it, and there was no need to do it at all. Um, no. 
Even though that's with Rabio at left wing back as well. Rabio at left wing back, and then they changed to a four at half time, and Rabio stayed at left back but didn't play there. But they seemed to turn up like they'd already won the game, and I hate leveling that at professionals because I'm sure it's probably not completely fair. I don't know whether it's Deschamps' fault. I don't know whether it's the players' faults, but they just didn't seem up for it in that really sort of colloquial, boring footballism kind of phrase. And Switzerland were just so much quicker than them, so much so much quicker in transition, seemed to create a lot more. But as you say, once they managed to turn that around and went 3-1 up, you think, well, okay, they, they, they've ridden the storm and now they're going they're going to go home and you and you thought you know it's it's going to be 4 or 5 here like they they they're through the flying they scored two goals in 2 minutes they've turned it around um France are back but they how, how they let that slip is i mean it's inexcusable it's it's absolutely crazy and also as you say fair play to Switzerland cuz they were very very good but so so bizarre so bizarre mm. yeah i don't i really i'm i'm a big Rabio fan actually I think he's a relatively underrated player actually he I, I've liked him I can't remember it was quite a few years ago there was I, I watched a Champions League group stage uh, game of PSG I, I, I couldn't tell you who they were playing <clears throat> but him as a defensive midfielder he, he just goes very much under the radar and it's really really good actually so to put a player like that completely out of position at left wing back when I don't know. Have they have they got left back injuries? Surely there's a left back somewhere. So, Lucas, sorry, Theo Theo Hernandez is. I can't remember which way round they are. Theo's the left back, isn't he? And Lucas is the centre back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, no. the left back Hernandez. Hernandez. Whichever. Yeah. <laughs> the remember. left back Hernandez. Surely, like. Sh- sh- no, I think I it's Lucas feel- is the left back. <laughs> I'm googling it. <laughs> We're really prepared here. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, Theo. Theo Hernandez, the left back. He's the left back. Okay, right. Yes. Okay. But like, carry on as normal. Even <laughs> we won't cut it. We're no. no one thinks we're professional. Um, the, yeah, surely, surely he's a better option. Surely there's someone in the squad that's a better option. And you're and you're also not only by playing a player in an incorrect position. Uh, you're you're weakening that position. You're also taking him away from the position he has been playing in, in a role that actually I think he's done pretty well all tournament. He's been really solid for them. And then it was even more baffling, like as you say, when they went to a back four, that he was he stayed on at left back. It was just I I, I really didn't I just didn't understand the decision making at all there. Um, I think, like you say, it probably was a bit overthinking I know um, Pep often gets a lot of criticism for that kind of in big games really overthinking it it definitely was a case of that but yeah they looked way more positive coming out and yeah it's just Sidwell Seferovic was great he always seems to do this he's one of those players who always seems to turn up in a game in international tournaments he's just maybe not throughout it but there's one game where he'll just do really well and really contribute well for them I quite yeah. like him. Love a classic target, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Theo Hernandez is the one that plays for AC Milan at left back. Yes. But yes. Lucas Hernandez is the one that plays for Bayern Munich and has been playing left back this tournament. 
Yeah. Um, he he has been at left back. I thought he was injured, but he was on the bench. So I have no idea why yeah. he didn't play. Or at least come <laughs> on when they switched to a four. Uh, Luca Dean is injured. Um, I can only assume that they that Deschamps just wasn't happy with how uh, Hernandez was playing playing there previously. I, I didn't think he had had a great tournament, but I didn't think he was sort of droppable over a centre midfielder at left back sort of levels of bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But there you go. Uh, France are out. It's kind of mad because everyone understandably had them down as the favourites. They've been. I think they were fairly disappointed in the group stage. And they deservedly crashed out to Switzerland because I don't I don't quite know what it is, but they they were they were poor, yeah, and they just, just have not just, shown up. Just quickly, was it was it France Switzerland that you predicted as nil nil? Uh, no, but I think it was Croatia Spain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so e- even worse. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah. I, well, I, well. well <laughs> We'll move on then. What what was your favourite game? Um, so yeah, it's obviously hard to look past um, France, Switzerland, and Croatia, Spain as what what an excellent day of football. Um, but because I like to be a bit contrarian, a bit different for the sake of it, I've actually put the Denmark four 0 win against Wales mm-hmm. as my favourite game um, for nothing else because I'm just really, really consistently happy with Denmark now that they're able to perform at a level that they should have been doing for the whole tournament and despite the near tragedy they've overcome it and they've been they've been excellent and they were so they were really really good against Wales I thought Wales started quite well but they were so disciplined they just sort of rode the wave where possible they limited Wales they stopped Bale from influencing the game too much and then just hit them on the counter and then in the second half just sort of took over and they were so so good so and I'm, I'm obsessed with Damsgaard He's so so good. I just love watching him. So yeah, Denmark, Denmark for me. I think that they're gonna. I, I, I obviously nothing take nothing for granted, but I think Denmark. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it later because we're gonna do a preview anyway. Ignore me. Um, <laughs> biggest surprise. Um, biggest. Surprise, probably um, the Czech Republic going through, but you obviously have to take into consideration the red card. Mm. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm putting this as my biggest surprise, but I've, I've been in the stage in the process of moving out of my house this week, and I watched up until I think the 54th minute, and then came back at about the 82nd. And the delict red card was in the 55th minute, and then the second goal was in the 80th minute. So I missed all the action. I, I have no thoughts and nothing to comment on. But they, that was my biggest surprise. Yeah, no, fair, no, that, that's fair. No, it was it was a surprise. I did actually watch that whole game, and the red card was hilarious. By the way, I have seen that back. Yeah, like, laughable. Yeah, I, it's silly because the. The Netherlands were easily the better side without having scored and probably should have scored just actually before the red card. Malin had a great, great chance where he sort of, he does so well to get through and then you just think, oh, he's just got to finish this. And then he overcomplicates it, tries to take it around the keeper, but like goes the wrong way around the keeper and you think, oh, what have you done? Um, and they had they had a couple of opportunities to the Netherlands, but as soon as that red card happened, it was 
an absolute masterclass in how not to react when you go down to 10 men. <laughs> they were atrocious. I mean, they they sort of they they, they sort of switched to a 4 because they they've been playing the um the 5-2-1-2 two, two, essentially with Wijnaldum in a sort of free roll. They sort of switched to a 4 when the red card happened. But then dropped um I think probably De Jong into the back um, that back line when they didn't have the ball so they just ended up forming this kind of five or almost six at the back when they didn't have it and we're just really really negative when actually you think it's okay like just basically take one of your strikers back maybe or leave them and just play with a four like a four three two or something um, and you'd be okay and just sort of play just carry on playing aggressively and also I think uh De Boer, the Netherlands managers didn't really make any changes quick enough either and you just think you need to you need to fix the situation that you're now in and you just took so long to do it because <clears throat> suddenly su- suddenly they're down to 10 and they've lost Delict, who's obviously a really important player for them also their most important player from set pieces um and they didn't fix that like bring on um, Veghorst or some someone someone with a height who can help you defending set pieces and also attacking set pieces because that's probably how you're going to get yourself out of the situation stay tight from set pieces and try and nick something um, I just I, I just thought it was they just didn't seem to do anything to fix the situation at all it was it was sort of a shame but then you know you've also got to then give credit to Czech Republic who took advantage of the red card brilliantly and scored two goals so yeah it was a good game there yeah um, what was My, what was your biggest disappointment? Uh, is it uh, biggest surprise? You mean biggest surprise? Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, or it's just I don't want to get uh, too confused. <laughs> My biggest surprise is an interesting one because it's um, Austria who lost, but they took Italy to extra time, and I thought that was mm-hmm. really commendable because I think it, we we said that Italy have been good, but just don't get too excited because they haven't been tested yet. And I, but I think we also both said Austria probably aren't the team to test them, and mm. actually they did. They made it really difficult for Italy. Uh, Alaba down the left hand side, he sort of played as left back, sort of looked quite dangerous. Um, and I just thought f- fair enough to get to the end of ninety minutes at nil nil, and then quite exciting to have uh, <laughs> three goals in extra time. Really, isn't it? Um, they were, yeah. they were, yeah, they were all in extra time, weren't they? Yeah, um, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, I, I'm. It's just, uh, I, I, I just thought Austria deserved credit because I thought they played very well and were actually quite unlucky in the end to mm. not get something out of the game. If, if it was a sort of regular season game and Austria had managed to get a draw there, you know, as a sort of relegation contenders up against someone fighting for Champions League football, you'd go, that's a really sort of savvy performance. Yeah. They played very, very well. Um, so, well done, Austria. But, you know, also get home safe and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, right, so favourite individual performance then? Uh, I think I'm going to go with... I, I was umming and ahhing over this, cause, but I think I'm going to go with Morata because he, <laughs> he's someone who I think actually has been... He's, he led the line really well for Spain. He got his one goal, which was a great finish. Um, I know they scored just after it. But I kind of, at, at that stage, I know Croatia had come back. I, you kind of felt as Morata scored, that was really it. And then that, oh, he has a ball. 
I think that's how it's pronounced, <laughs> goal afterwards. Um, sort of nailing, final nail in the coffin. Yeah, Mar- Marasso, though, he, he's, he's one of those players who doesn't necessarily... His role is to score. He's not quite the Giroud, but he, he doesn't... That's not his only role. His job's a lot more nuanced and, like, more important than just scoring goals he kind of he does really well to bring in those players like pedri on the side like on the side and um oh uh forgetting his name sarabia um and fernand torres as well both of them actually he kind of brings them in he's really good at holding up the ball he's uh he's he's quite he's quite strong he wins i'm quite strong and tall he wins more headers i i, I always I don't know. I, I always in my head I have him as quite like a small, skinny player, and he he just isn't that. That's wrong. Mm. Um, he wins quite a few headers. Yeah, no, I just thought he he led the line really well and was just very very the the antithesis of the Spanish centre backs. Really, Morata is a strange one because I'm really happy for him because he he's like every statsman's dream. Like <laughs> he shows up so well in every metric for a striker and just cannot finish his dinner. It's he's he's very similar to Werner, just in a different kind of way. Like just really, really good off the ball. As soon as they get the ball, you're like, oh well, how how has anyone paid money for you ever? Um, <laughs> but then you see them sort of make really smart runs and, as you say, hold the ball up well. And you just think, actually, smart players, smart players who just aren't that great at finishing, and they kind of need to play alongside someone. But yeah, I mean. Brilliant, because he scored about eight offside goals this tournament alone. <laughs> and that's perennially what he does. And he's got one, actually, against Croatia as well, didn't he? Um, and then yeah, yeah. Fi- finally, finally got a goal. Um, shockingly, his first of the tournament. Um, yeah. But uh, after missing a penalty as well, at one stage. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think Morata's Mar- great, and you just sort, sort of will him to score every time I watch him play. I just think, oh, go on, mate. Have one. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Um, that game, that game was a lot of fun as well. Uh, Spain have gone <coughs> from being, yeah, yes, yeah, Spain have gone from being really boring to now just an absolute goal fest. And also, how good is Luka Modric, by the way? Yeah. Oh, he, he, his, his. So for most players, being terrified of using your weaker foot would be mm. a really big criticism because he doesn't. He he yeah. never passes it with his left. He hardly touches it with his left, mm. even when he's like dribbling. The, the his outside of the foot pass is clearly his speciality. That that's better than most players are with their weak foot. Yeah, like, what? it's just the balls he plays in are just exquisite. Why use your weak foot when you're that good with your strong foot? There's just no point. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, <laughs> there's no need. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, biggest disappointment then. Finally, what about who was your individual? Was that Modric? Was that, was that oh your answer? oh god yeah no no it was not. Um, <laughs> I always forget to do my part of this bargain. I always ask you the question <laughs> then forget that I've got a provide answer as well. I'm actually going to say Pogba um, just because I thought he was really, really good in that France game. I just love how sort of effortless he is with everything that he does. There was something really interesting that I saw earlier, someone describing it. Basically, the, the point was that Pogba gets a lot of criticism because he often looks like he's not putting a lot of effort in and he looks quite languid in his style and um, almost almost looks lazy at times and therefore then it gets sort of put to him that clearly he's you know he doesn't train hard enough and he's not really that interested in that sort of stuff but someone said it's kind of like when a jazz musician improvises something you have to be so well versed with the theory 
to be able to do something so off off book. And that kind of is what Pogba looks like when he plays. He just, mm. um, I think it was Alex Stewart that was saying this actually. Um, and yeah, it's just absolutely fan- fantastic. Like he just, um, he looks, he, he looks so good. And it's, it's been amazing to watch him look so, so good for France this tournament. Even in a France side that haven't really played that well, to be honest. Um, they've obviously it's structured in a way that gives him a lot more freedom, but as a whole entity, they haven't played that well. Um, but he, he's he just a joy to watch. Uh, he just, makes everything so look much fun. like so effortless. Yeah. And like you say, it looks like he's not trying, but he clearly mm. is. The amount of times when a player will come in and attempt to tackle or something, or two players, he'll get swarmed by two or three, and you'll be like, oh, well, they've got the ball back now. And then you'll look up and be like, he's got a pass off, or he's done sort of some sort of skill mm-hmm. move, and he's still got the ball. It's, yeah, so impressive. Uh, agreed. Um, now we can do biggest disappointment now. <laughs> what was yours? Yeah. Um, uh, I think France. I think mm. we're yeah, I, I boring. We've already done it. I mm. put potentially Wales, just because of the way mm. they, they lost... That it wasn't if they, I don't know if they if they'd have gone out one or two nil, fair enough. I probably would have put Denmark as favourites, but wouldn't have been overly surprised if Wales mm. had gone through. I think four nils quite damning, but mm. you're out no, either way. Uh, it's definitely yeah. France. Definitely no, I, I agree with you. Wales Wales were a bit of a bit of a shame, particularly because I actually thought they started that game quite well and then just sort of faded and mm. never really managed to keep themselves in it, which is a shame. Also, I guess you could put Netherlands into that category as well because I thought. They were very disappointing, but no, I'm with you all the way. France, I think, yeah. given, given it's a round of 16 game in a Euros, you're easily favourites. The depth of your squad is unbelievable. And you've lost against, with all due respect to Switzerland, a Switzerland mm-hmm. side that have been pretty dog shit during the group stage. Like, they haven't been good. Um, and they play very, very well against France, but you shouldn't be letting them Other get... Other than Xhaka, yeah. <laughs> to well, be fair. No, that, sorry, that, that's very really true. Good. He's been very, very good. Uh, that's very true, actually. Good point. Um, and it was excellent again against France. So, But yeah, I mean, come on. You look at that French team and you just think, that's a joke that yeah. you're out. Um, right. Well, that's all of that. So we're just going to do a little preview then of the quarterfinals. Um, score predictions. Score predictions indeed. Again. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do here. So in chronological order, the first quarterfinal game is at five o'clock on Friday, the 2nd of July. And it is Switzerland against Spain in St. Petersburg. What do we reckon? <clears throat> you can't really look past Spain, can you, here? You couldn't um, really look past France, though, could you? <laughs> no, no. I, I, but <laughs> I, the, the way they've, they've scored no goals in their first two games and then scored five in each of their second two... <laughs> I I, I kind of feel like if Switzerland go through here, it would just be the the the, the luckiest route to a mm. semi final anyone's had. But yeah, what what shall, what am I going to predict? We'll go. I'm going to go high scoring. I'll go like four two. Four two Spain. Okay. Maybe yeah, well, after I mean, extra time. Judge, <laughs> oh, that would be exciting. Uh, judging <laughs> by judging by the way that both of their previous games have gone, we should be expecting about six to ten goals. Um, <laughs> so nil nil then. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely going to be a boring nil nil draw. Um, it's going to be like uh, yeah, but yeah, I think I think I, I think I agree with you. Spain, Spain have Spain have started to actually do something with the possession now, and it, it's it's very clear that it's also had the negative impact of them conceding a lot more, going the other way as well. Um, 
but they do seem to be able to score at the moment. If if Morata can find just a little bit of a spell of form as well, maybe into the latter stage of this tournament, particularly against Switzerland, I think they could. I think they could see off Switzerland quite comfortably, but it won't be an easy game. And I do wonder whether having just knocked out the world champions, whether Switzerland will be feeling quite again. It's that kind of very vague up for it because I'm sure everyone's going to be up for it. It's a European Championship, but just wonder whether that gives them a little bit of an edge as well. But I think I think I'd have to go Spain as well. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I think Switzerland will score first, but then I think Spain will dispatch them three-one. That's right. my call. So second game following that on the Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff, Belgium against Italy in Munich. It's a big game, that isn't it's it? It's going to be a tie. It's tasty. I, I think it'll be relatively even. Hmm. I, I'm, I, I. I don't think here's my my one take. I don't think it'll end. I don't think it. I don't think it'll end up in extra time. I certainly don't think it'll end up at penalties. I feel like it's time for one of. They, they've both been decent throughout. They've they've got through. They've deserved to be where they are. They're they're probably outside. If you're looking at the two sides of the draws, you kind of. You would you would expect as a neutral you would expect England to be one team in the final. I think you'd you'd probably expect one of Belgium or Italy to be the other team in the final. Mm. Um, I kind of feel like it's just time for one of them to turn up. It'll it'll probably be a relatively tight game, but I think I think one of one of them will probably have a little more. And I think I'm going to back Belgium. I'm gonna okay. go. I'm gonna go two one. I think it'll be tight, but I do think they'll do it. I don't. I, I, I don't think. I don't think. I think one of them will go for it. I just think it's so unlikely to go to penalties because I think one of them's gonna go at, at some point in. In I mean, if it, if it's a draw with the last ten fifteen minutes, or if you go into extra time, I really feel that one of them's just gonna go right, lads. We're gonna take this by the scruff of the neck. We're gonna win it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fair enough. I think my my slight concern with. Belgium is that obviously there's question marks over uh, De Bruyne and Hazard's fitness, and that's Eden Hazard. Um, the last I heard is that they're they're both not too serious, and I think maybe both of them are trying to be fit for the bench for Italy. But I think Martinez said that it's more likely that they would be available for the next stage if Belgium do indeed progress. So I think we can. I think it's fair to say that neither of them will be starting against Italy. And I think particularly losing De Bruyne is going to be problematic. Um, I I am excited to see whether Romelu Lukaku and I guess Mertens will probably start. So him as well. Maybe if they can exploit that Italy backline. We we both said that it's time that Italy now get exploited. Austria weren't the ones to try and get in behind those um, Italy defenders. But obviously I think Chiellini's injured. But Bonucci and um, it's... Achebe, isn't it? Um, who's yeah. coming for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, there, there's space there, and I think Lukaku could have a field day if they can get the ball to him. And my concern is, without De Bruyne, can they get the ball to him? But oh, it's, it's a tough one because I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit um, lukewarm on Italy now. I mean, they're, they're so both of these teams were so good in the group stage and then have been disappointing really in their first knockout game, but. I think I think I'm going to back Belgium as well, um, and I'm going to stay one nil Belgium. Mm-hmm. I might just sorry, just 
this is completely off topic. Am I right in saying England are now the only team to have not conceded at the tournament? Because it was it was only Italy and the Netherlands, wasn't it? And Italy conceded late on against Austria. Yeah, you're right. I think so. Yeah, yeah just, no, you are just, right. Not uh, really related, yeah, they, but it no, just no, no, no. sort of just came off my head when you were on about Italy. <laughs> no, that is 100% true. We are the only team left. Uh, oh, how interesting. Anyway, <laughs> um, right, next game, Czech Republic against Denmark. Saturday the 3rd of July in Baku. Denmark for me. Uh, um, <clears throat> I think you'll probably agree. Uh, they, 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 They really did look a lot better against Wales I missed the final I missed the final two goals because it was five minutes to go I had to leave the house but they they yeah they looked pretty solid they looked it looked like they were winning that game most of the time um in contrast the Czech Republic I thought they were going home until that red card Mm. and they did really well credit to them because the amount of times you see a team go on a red card and then you teams don't take advantage of it Mm. um I was saying, actually, during the Sweden-Ukraine game last night to my dad, I really feel that playing on 10 men is is something that should be worked on tactically mm. more than it is. more than it is. Sorry, playing against 10 men, not playing on 10, playing on 10 men too, but mm. more specifically yeah. playing against 10 men. because It's obviously not something you train every week, but it, you should kind of have a system or some systems in place. Mm. You could have... <clears throat> for, for example, if, if you want to go... At, there are lots of options. You can go, actually, we're going to overload them because we can afford to have it, have an extra man on them every time. And that's great. Um, Ukraine looked really, not, yeah, Ukraine looked really negative. Um, and I was like, actually, you can afford to just leave a man back and still be match the man for man up front. You can do that. Or you can go match the man for man and have whoever your most talented creative player is in a free roll. There are, there are lots of options. It's kind of, it's one of those things that I don't feel... I, I don't feel is trained enough within teams, but yeah. that's by no. the by. Yeah, no, I, I, think, think, I think that's fair. I think it'll probably be another Denmark win. Maybe a we another clean sheet. I'm going to go two nil, two nil, two nil. Okay. I'm just I'm writing these down just May, so we remember. Them. I... <laughs> um, and unless unless of course I come out worse, in which case I will not be sharing. <laughs> you just happen to have lost the piece yeah, of paper. Check against Denmark. Yeah, no, I very much think Denmark are flying. And I think Denmark, you know, very quietly are going to get themselves to a semi-final, obviously, if they beat the Czech Republic. Um, and have have warranted it, but obviously benefited from a, a nice draw as well. And then I think, obviously, they will play either us or the Ukraine. Um, and, I mean... Particularly if we went and crashed out to the Ukraine, that what a great opportunity it is for Denmark to get to a European <laughs> Championship final. Um, but Czech Republic have been everything I thought they'd be like really well disciplined, compact, with a little bit of flair in the final third. And I think Schick has been terrific. Um, it just looked really, really good. So that's uh, they're, and they're just the sort of team where you just feel like they'll just they will take advantage of like a red card like that, like they did against the Netherlands. You just think ah, all day. Um, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two one Denmark because I fancy Schick to score. Damsgaard yeah. to get the winner because he's now okay. my favourite player in the world. <laughs> um, and then finally, then to wrap up the quarters will be mm-hmm. England against the Ukraine. 
Well, it's coming home, so England are winning. Um, maybe seven, eight, nil. No, we'll go on. No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna uh, go. I think it'll the probably... arrogance. <laughs> no, I'm not having that on record. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I think we'll keep another clean sheet. I think we'll. I think we'll probably win two nil. I don't know when that. I think that second goal will probably come relatively late again. Just kind of mm. as Ukraine are pushing up, we'll have a bit of space in behind them. It it could be more if that happens a little earlier. Mm. If we get that first goal early on, they're going to be pushing, and there'll be a lot of spaces. Um, and it, it, it if if we score early, I could see it being three or four, but I'm not. I'm not confidently saying that. I'm not. I'm not mm. predicting that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it would be a catastrophic failure if we got knocked. Mm. I, I think, quite frankly, as good as Denmark are, I really think, from Southgate's perspective, having got Germany, it's a failure to not meet mm. to not make the final from this point. Yeah. Um, that might seem harsh, but I, I it's it's the easiest run we're ever gonna have. There are no excuses. Ob- obviously. Some sometimes stuff happens. There might be a, an absolute howler from someone, an individual mistake that he just mm. couldn't have avoided. These things happen. From a from a tactical perspective, I just there there I I I don't see any excuse for not getting past Ukraine and whoever the next one is. Yeah, I think I think on paper you would look at any of those matchups, even Denmark, who have been very good and are a very good side. It's difficult to sort of not look at all the matchups on paper and go. You should be you should be winning those games as a as a elite football country that England is should be beating any of those teams. So, um, I'm optimistic. Part part of me thinks that this is going to be the game that England do concede, just because that's very England. But Maybe my so. my <laughs> my head my head is telling me that we should be keeping a clean sheet against Ukraine. We, it's going to be more similar, I think, to the group stage games, but like Ukraine will properly, like a properly tight low block, and it's going to be so frustrating. And I do wonder whether this is the sort of game where you do play your more creative players um, and just try and create something sort of out of nothing. Who's our best long shot? Like it's it's that sort of it's that sort of a game. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say one nil England. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. gonna be double. Did you say two nil? It's a two, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I'm just put, putting it out there. If 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 we score early, I really mm. think the floodgates could open. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I to be honest with you, I I think it would take us to score twice. I just think that's how I think Ukraine mm. will go into it. Just thinking, even if they go one nil down, they think, well, we could still nick a, yeah. we could still nick a free kick or a corner. Maybe then in the last 10-15 they might open up a bit. But if we scored in the first 10, I really don't think they'd abandon the game plan. I think they yeah. will still just try and frustrate us and try and just capitalise on any mistakes or um, a corner. Because even you saw in the Germany game, you know, one mistake and Müller's in. And you think, mm. uh, you know, if he scores that, it's a very different game. And Ukraine could have a very similar similar situation. And they've got players that can hurt us. I mean... Um, Zinchenko played a little bit more attacking I thought against Sweden I and, he had a really good game yeah he had a good game Yarmolenko's looked quite good this tournament as well so there, there's there's players there to mm. to to cause us problems if they get a chance and I just think they'll be patient 
And look, if, if Ukraine, because this is the thing, Ukraine are now in a quarter final of a European Championship. This is the furthest they've ever got. If they lose 1 2 0 to England, it's a shame for them, but who really cares? It's been a good run. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, so I think they'll sort of kind of just be happy to keep it really tight. And if it's 1 0, it's 1 0. If they don't get their chance, they don't get their chance. But I think I, I can't see them quite opening up like you might want. Um, but we'll see. No. Well, they. I suppose against Sweden last night, they really. They kind of. Even when Sweden went down to 10 men, which. I, I personally thought it was a farcical red card. <laughs> um, even when Sweden went down to 10 men, they looked happy. They looked happy waiting out for the pens. It was kind of... I actually... I did really enjoy the last-minute winner because I know we've had, a, we've had an extra time winner, but we haven't had um, a proper, like, last-minute knockout round send mm. someone home winner yet. And I do... I did as much as I was wanting penalties. I did enjoy that. They kind of... They did leave it till that last five minutes and just thought, yes, yeah, sod it, we'll push now. But it wasn't like they were pressing all throughout no. the extra time. They did just look perfectly happy sitting and waiting. And if the chance comes, it comes, which it did, fortunately. Yeah. But if it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, it, say. Did, it does feel a bit like that. They will just sort of bide their time. I mean, that Sweden-Ukraine game was just two very, very uniform structures just going at it. Um, mm. It's quite boring to watch, but it's very, it's quite impressive how disciplined both of those teams are. But I do think it's a shame yeah. for um, Isaac uh, for Sweden because mm-hmm. he's he, he he looks a great player and he looks a great player all season as well. But you know he he, he did look quite good for Sweden so far this mm. this tournament and you just think actually he's had nothing. He's been running on scraps. So I think it's a shame he's not got himself a goal. But yeah, Forsberg um, uh, looked great by the mm, way in that. Abs- he looked oh, really absolutely, good. yeah. <clears throat> As kind of I. I, I wasn't overly asked about which one got through, but I would have preferred Ukraine to Sweden. Mm. Um, the yeah, because I just thought for, well, Forsberg, he just they gave him so much space on the ball yeah. at all times. And and to be fair, I did. I was quite as an England fan. The fact that it went to extra time was very beneficial, and the fa- the fact that they were all knackered and there was a player getting injured mm. about every two minutes was. I was kind of sat there as an England fan, like actually, whichever of these teams play, this is good for us. Yeah. I, I, I actually, um, we've had this discussion briefly, but I slightly disagreed with you. I would have preferred Ukraine. Uh, no, mm-hmm. sorry. I would have preferred <laughs> Sweden um, yeah. to the Ukraine. And my thinking is just that I think that Sweden are more likely to score against us, but I think they're easier to break down. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Ukraine are less likely to score, but I think they're going to really be difficult to break down. And then if we if we go nil-nil and it's extra time, I think suddenly it's nil-nil in a quarterfinal against Ukraine and we might lose our heads or it goes to penalties and then it's just a flip of a coin. I mean, um, go oh, either Rocky way. I disagree with you there. Oh, what, what's he, <laughs> the, what's he been the, saying? Oh, I just, I can't remember it was after the... I, it was before or after the French penalties he was saying it's just very much not a flip of a coin and much more mentality-based than that. Right. Um, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to disagree in terms of like there are obviously <laughs> psychological aspects to penalty taking and the the pressure associated with them. But in terms of someone can just save a save a penalty or someone yeah. can just oh no, of course you like, you better as a Ukraine as a Ukraine for example, your best chance of beating mm. England would be in penalties. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's probably wraps it up. Yeah, um, another we'll be back. episode. Absolutely, yeah. We'll we'll be back on 
probably what Sunday, uh, or the podcast will probably be out Monday. Um, yeah. After after the weekend's games, um, hopefully after another England win and yeah. a few nights of singing three lines until your voice goes hoarse. Um, I enjoyed seeing Ed Sheeran singing it in the crowd, actually. <laughs> of, like, of all the you'd be like sat there with like all these like just people around you chanting. You're like, wait, this one guy's in tune. <laughs> it's brilliant. Who is this chap? <laughs> he's he's going somewhere special. Um, <laughs> but no. Uh, but thank you very much for listening to this episode. A uh, bit longer, I say than usual, but I mean they're all really long at this point, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, we keep running over, but it is what it is. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you have made it this far, if you haven't, then you're not hearing this, um, so I won't address you. Um, but Callum, where can they find us on social media? Yeah, we're um, at EAFC underscore podcast on Twitter. We're everyone's a football critic um, on Facebook. If you go to either of those, there's the link to our ACAST profile, which says a bit more about the show, um, gives you all the links to all the usual podcasting places. You, you've you clearly found it if you're listening to us here, but you, you might have a preferred podcasting site, and we're probably on there too. Well, that's, that wraps that up then. So thank you very much, Callum. Um, I will see you on Sunday, Saturday, Monday. <laughs>